blessing on our time and see what God has to say to us. Let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, just your presence here and we thank you for your word. Uh, I ask that we would hear you tonight. I mean, really hear you and and take some time to apply what you say. Uh, I pray that we would apprehend your word tonight by faith and that we would apply that word uh, right into us. I pray our spirit would be challenged tonight. I pray that uh, we would uh, just find some maturity and find some growth in what you have to say to us. So I ask God that you'd have your way. I pray we'd have yours to hear. I pray God you'd help us pay attention and uh, be able to receive what you really have for us. Uh, God, if there's ideas that we've heard before, maybe this time we actually take hold of them. Maybe words that we've heard before, but this time we actually apply some meaning to it. But I ask you, God, that this will be a time of challenge and growth and change in our lives. We give you thanks tonight for your presence. Again, uh, we ask, again, have your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E. Dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. It could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line. Uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's open up to Romans chapter 1. If you need a Bible, they're located on the table. Uh, feel free to use that. Romans chapter 1. I'm going to need a volunteer to read verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. All right, thanks for reading that. Uh, this is a, the Apostle Paul writing to the Romans, Church in Rome, and uh, he refers back to the gospel, and he does that often in his epistles. And I just want to make a point as we get started here about that. Um, When you're looking at the scriptures and you're looking at trying to understand what God is saying, one of the things I'm going to encourage you toward is start with the Gospels. Uh, That's that's where we start. And that's where meaning is established, where understanding is established. That's where uh, we begin to understand what God is saying through the whole rest of the scriptures. And so if you come across something that, uh, say because Paul wrote over half the New Testament. Let's say you're reading an epistle from Paul, 
And he says something in that epistle that you don't really understand because it seems to contradict something that Jesus said in the Gospels. Uh, one of the things I'm going to tell you is that you need to understand what you read in the epistles, what you're reading that Paul's writing based on what Jesus said in the Gospels. And do you understand what I just said? So in other words, we're not defining the words of Jesus through what Paul says. We're defining what Paul says through the words of Jesus. We're not defining what Jesus says through the Old Testament. We're defining what is spoken and what is written in the Old Testament through the words of Jesus. So the words of Jesus, in other words, the gospel is the top of the heap. That's, that's the truth. That's where truth resides. That's where truth lives. That's where we find truth. And then we understand other things that have been written based on that truth. Now, I know this sounds, to some of you, sounds obvious, but it's an important distinction. And the reason it's an important distinction is because there's churches out there that they base their beliefs and they base their practice on the epistles, not on the gospels. And to me, that's a mistake. To me, that, that's, that's backwards. And, and I think that it's important philosophically that we get a hold of this idea that it's the gospel, that, that that's the center, that's the top, that, that's the thing. And then, then the rest of the understanding and the rest of the direction and the rest of what we have, we translate, and not translate, but we define through what we're reading and what we understand from and what we have learned from the Gospels. So start with the Gospels. And then you go to the Epistles. And it's interesting here because Paul uh, recognizes that. I mean, in Romans 1.17, he begins, he says, the Gospel tells us. And then he talks about what the Gospel says. Understand that is that he is using that as a word of authority. Right? He is referring back to what the gospel tells us because that's authority. And so he is not just saying what he's going to say. He refers back to a greater authority, and that is the gospel. He was called to preach the gospel. He refers back to the gospel. Now, we have gospels in written form. And so we have the four evangelists that wrote that, and so we have their recollection, and we have the divinely inspired words of Jesus uh, through those Gospels. And so we have the opportunity to study the Gospel. We have the opportunity to read it over and over again. We have the opportunity to divide it up into sections, to compare, to contrast, to look at the different Gospels, look at different perspectives, and understand the life and work of Jesus that we've been given. And so because we have that, we have that authority to draw from in order to understand the other things that we read. Uh, having done that for a lot of years, and I mean, I'm just not confused about it, so uh, when I read the Old Testament, I, I'm able to draw more out of the Old Testament because I know the Gospels. When I read the Epistles, I'm able to understand better some of the things that Paul is saying, or some of the things that John is saying, or some of the things that James is saying, or some of the things that Peter is saying, I'm able to understand that because I have an understanding of the Gospels. And so if you really want to understand that, if you really want to read that for what it is and for what it says, you've got to start with the Gospels. You need a good, solid base 
of understanding with the Gospels in order to understand the rest of it. Because people will take things out of context all the time. They'll read something out of the, one of the epistles and say, well, this is what the Bible says. All right, well, right, but what does Jesus have to say about this? And how does that line up with the teachings and the words of Jesus, your particular interpretation of something that Paul or John or Peter or James said? What would be your particular interpretation of that? And how does that line up with the words of Jesus? Because that's a valid question. And it's a question that I don't think is asked enough. Because I think people want to take what they want to take out of the epistles and, and justify something they want to believe or justify something they want to do or justify something that they, they want to have happen without really taking into account that maybe their interpretation of what they're reading just isn't right. Because it's just not Jesus. It's just not gospel. It's just not something that we learn from the gospels. And so, if there is, in your mind, when you read something, this looks like a contradiction, where you go with the gospel. And then you need to reread that and understand that in light of the gospel and get a different interpretation of it. Because it's not contradictory, it's just that you've got the wrong interpretation. Get a hold of a new one. Get a hold of something else, maybe the Holy Spirit will reveal to you. Get a hold of something else that maybe Jesus taught on that very thing. You find that in the gospels, understand, okay, this is what Jesus has to say. All right, how can I understand that in light of that? So I want to start there. Not that that has anything to do with what we're talking about tonight, but I want to start there because I think it's important that we remind ourselves of that. Especially if you're around people that are epistle-based or churches that really are structured by and run by and teach out of the epistles all the time. Uh, it's good to remind ourselves that we're really all about Jesus. It's good to remind ourselves that we're really all about the gospel. And, and that's how we're going to understand the other stuff, like the stuff that matters and the stuff that means something and the stuff that, that people's lives get changed by because that, that's really what we're about. And so we need to keep Jesus in the center. We need to keep Jesus on top of the, the hill, whatever it is. He's, he's it. And then everything else is going to come into understanding based on that. So Paul starts with that, um, and in doing so, he, he establishes the authority of what he's about to say, that the gospel teaches us this. And so the authority that he comes from with this teaching is the authority of Jesus. The authority he comes from is the authority of the gospels, and the understanding, and the teachings, and the life of Jesus. That's the authority. And so he begins, he begins to talk about, and he uses the word righteousness, and the idea of righteousness is just being right with God. That's what it is. And, and I want to make a statement here at the beginning, and that's this. A righteous man or person is not one who thinks that he or she is righteous. That is not a righteous person. Just because someone thinks that they're righteous doesn't make them righteous. Also, a righteous person is not one who declares himself righteous. Because people do that. They will declare themselves righteous. But that, that's not who a righteous person is. And so being a righteous person and, and, and understanding our righteousness in Christ has nothing to do with whatever we think about ourselves, really. It really doesn't. Because you could think you're really righteous and you're not. And you could think that you're really not righteous. 
And and maybe there's something that God's provided for you that you're not taking into account. And so your thoughts on the matter really aren't an issue here. And the one who declares himself righteous, most of the time, uh, they're the biggest jerks. Somebody that just they want to tell you how righteous they are. I mean, there's some jerks that that's just what it is. And so that doesn't make them righteous. Don't be fooled. But the word righteous and, and how this is being used is innocent and pure. And the one who is actually righteous, the person who is righteous, is the one who is made righteous by Jesus. That's the truth. Anyone that is actually righteous was made righteous by Jesus. And that's it. Now, I know we have a basic understanding of this, but I don't know that we really believe it for what it says and for what it is. I think that there's lots of, okay, well, I've read this before, I've heard this before, and I I know what this is. And so... I know what I believe about it. Well, maybe you don't believe it strongly enough. And that's what I really want to challenge you toward tonight. That you have an understanding of it. You've heard this before. But maybe it really just hasn't taken root. Maybe it's just not really in there. Because I start using words like innocent and pure. All right? That's uncomfortable for some people. Because you know where you came from. But the idea is, is how does God see you? How does God understand you how does God choose to view you and and so if we begin to use words like righteous we need to attach to them words that actually mean something to us and so if we're talking about how God views us God views us as righteous all right well God views us as innocent and pure how is that possible well he's the God of the impossible how is that possible well he can do anything he wants how is that possible well that's his choice We're not smarter than him. We we don't have a better idea than him. We're not going to tell him how he should be doing things, how he should be seeing us, how he should be seeing me. That's not really a part of who we are to be able to tell God, well, this is how you're supposed to do this. This is how it works. Because that's not how it works. It works the way he says it works. And so what begins to have to happen in us isn't so much the, the thinking part of it, it's the faith part of it. That's what needs to really happen in us, is the faith part of it. Because the thinking part of it, you can say all you want. Well, it doesn't make any sense. Well, lots of stuff doesn't make any sense to us in our brain. There's lots of things that God does doesn't make any sense. There's lots of things that God has said that won't make any sense to our brain. And, and that just happens. And yet, that's not how those kind of things are apprehended. That's not how those kind of things are are taken in. Those things are taken in by faith. It's not through figuring it out. It's not through trying to to come up to, all right, well, let me think of how God's thinking. He's an infinite being. You can give it a shot, but a lot of times He knows the beginning from the end. All the time He knows what He's going to do before He does it. Right? And His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. The Bible declares that. It says His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so, for us to try to think, that, all right, well, I'm going to think like God. Well, you don't really think like God because His ways are too high. They're way too high for us. And so there are certain things that, yeah, we can comprehend. There are certain things that we can understand. There are certain things that we can look at and certain things that we can figure out. There, there are those things. But there are always those things that God says 
or that God does, or that God has declared, or that God says is the truth, there are always those things that the only way they were ever going to get a hold of those is by faith. And that's it. There's no other way. You want to try to figure it out, and you can waste your life thinking about it and trying to figure it out and never take hold of it. Ever. And that's part of the problem of thinking you have to figure everything out. One of, one of the, the real problems that came about and, and the addition of the Western church to Christianity is this idea we're going to figure it all out. We're not going to figure it all out. There's certain things that are apprehended by faith and that's it. It's okay. There's certain mystical things about our faith in Christ. There's certain mystical things about our understanding of God. That's okay. And most of the world, knowing that there's spiritual, mystical things that are involved with God, is perfectly okay. In fact, I'd have to say over half the world is okay with that. We're just not because of the way we were raised. We're not because of the way we were taught. We're not because of the shape of the church having come down through the ages and coming through the Enlightenment. And so all of a sudden, Christianity became this exercise in thought. But Christianity was never an exercise in thought. It was an exercise in faith. Now, does that mean we don't think? No, of course we think. Does that mean we can't have any ideas? Of course we can. Does that mean we can't understand anything? We understand lots of stuff, many things, sure. But there are certain things, and there will always be certain things, that we're not going to get a hold of with our mind. And, and for me to, to sit here and, and try to, to justify that, I don't need to. For me to sit here and try to explain to you why that's the case. I don't need to explain to you why that's the case. I'm just telling you that is the case. And that's been the case since the beginning. That's the case now. And that's always going to be the case. That there are certain things that have been said, certain things that have been revealed, certain things that have been declared over us that we can only take hold of through faith. And we need to accept that. And I don't know if that will help some of you or that confuses some of you or it makes you angry? I have no idea. All I'm saying is, is that faith needs to get activated somehow. And if you're just waiting to understand everything, you never will. If you're just waiting to figure it all out, you never will. If you're just waiting in order to come to some kind of a logical conclusion on every part of the gospel and everything that God's ever done, well, it's not going to happen. Because there are just certain things that those things don't apply to. And faith does. And so faith is an important part of who we are. That we can't just look at faith and say, oh, well, it's, it's just the one thing of our, of our Christianity. No, it's a huge thing of our Christianity. It's, it's that part that connects us and allows us to be connected with the Word and with what God is doing and what God wants to do through our lives. That's how we get all connected in with that. That, that we have faith. And faith is more than trust. Faith is more than just saying the right thing at the right time or anything else. It's, it's, it's more than that. It has to be something deeper in us than just those things. It's more. As Paul starts off about the gospel, 
And he says the gospel tells us, well, the gospel is fulfilling its purpose. There's an end to it. And it's attaining that end in our lives. And it's important for us to to look at it and say, all right, well, what's been taught through the gospels? Well, you learn about Jesus. You learn about his sacrifice. You learn about uh, his love for us. You learn about abundant life. You learn about forgiveness. You learn about mercy. You learn... There's all these kind of things that you learn about through the gospel. And there's a purpose behind that that is attaining something in our lives. But if we're going to take hold of what the gospel has to say, it's got to be more than theoretical. You see, the gospel is theoretical through its statements. In other words, you can establish theory through what is being spoken. And then you can test that theory. You can test those whatever it is you want to test. Yeah, it's being given that way, so it's theoretical that way. But it's practical and only practical through our acceptance. So in other words, people, we could talk about what Jesus said. You can talk all about it all you want. You can talk about how Jesus told us we're supposed to treat one another. You can talk about how Jesus said we were related to God. You can talk about it all you want. And you can keep it on that theoretical basis. And there will always be people that will talk to you about that. And there will be people arguing about it. And there will be people that will be debating about it. Be people that, that, well, I believe this, well, I believe that, whatever. And they will talk on those theoretical, whatever it is they want to talk about. And yet, if it's going to actually mean something, if it's, if it's going to actually bring about any kind of change in our life, if it's going to bring about anything practical, in other words, translated into action, translated into relationship, translated into something that actually is something, then it's going to have to be accepted in a heartfelt way. In other words, we got to feel that. we got to know that. we got to take hold of it. And it's not just, you know, this is the idea. It's not just an idea. It's life. And if we're going to really take hold of it, it's going to be, it's going to come from something inside of us that really does take hold of it, that accepts it, and it becomes a part of our life. That, that's really where the gospel is heading. That that gospel, that truth, that that life that Jesus says. I mean, that's he wants he wants to integrate that into us, into who we are. Not just in kind of in a mental ascent, like oh yeah yeah yeah, or or I know all the theories about it. Not like that. But I mean, really. Integrate it into our being. You know, become a part of us. And that's only going to happen as we accept it, as we allow for that in faith. We open our hearts to that. Now, one of the things that Paul's saying here is that the gospel tells you how God has made us right in His sight. Because the gospel tells us about Jesus. And it's by Jesus that we've been made right in God's sight. And when I say made right, I'm talking about innocent and pure. And you look at that and say, well, I'm not innocent and pure. I didn't say you, I said God. I said, how's God going to see you? How's God choose to see you? And, And you can say, well, is God fooling himself? Yeah, Maybe. I, I wouldn't call it that, though. Because I'll tell you something. 
I choose to see certain people certain ways. Even if I know that there's other things going on, even if I know that there, there's other factors involved in it, even if I know that it's not exactly what I am saying or seeing or whatever, I choose to see them a certain way. Because it helps me to love them. It helps me to show mercy to them. It helps me to show grace to them. It helps me to have a relationship with them. I mean, if I picked apart every person, every relationship that I have, I don't think I'd be friends with anybody. <laughs> if I dwell on, on issues or I dwell on shortcomings or I dwell on problems, I, I probably wouldn't be friends with anybody. But I choose not to do that. And I don't know why it's so hard for us to understand that God chooses to do that. He just chooses to. Does He know? Well, yeah, He knows. He knows everything. He knows everything. He knows everything that's going on. He knows everything that's happening. But He chooses to see us a certain way. And, that, and that's by His grace, His mercy, His love for us. Because I, I guarantee you that my love for some of you dictates how I see you. And that's just the way it is. And, and I'm not saying that, uh, you know, what, I'm not trying to define anything as far as truth or anything else. I'm just saying that's what I choose. And whether you see yourself that way really doesn't affect whether I see you that way or not. And I, do you kind of understand what I'm saying? And there's probably people in your life that you choose to see a certain way. Regardless of, of what other information that you have. And you may have a lot of other information. But you choose to see that other person in the way that you choose to see them. And I'll tell you something. Uh, marriages fall apart when people start picking each other apart. When they stop choosing to see one another in love. That's when things really start turning to crap. Because any person can pick apart whatever they want to pick apart. That's not really a challenge. It's not really a challenge to look at another human being and tell me what's wrong with them. That's not a challenge. It's not a real challenge to look at somebody that you live with and that you share a life with and find a bunch of stuff wrong with them. That's not a challenge. It's just not. I'll give you a good challenge, though. Make a decision to begin to see people around you in love. That's a good challenge. It's a good challenge to, to see people in mercy and in grace and being able to see them because you choose to see them that way. Love, it helps you just choose to see that person that way. And maybe it's not 24-7, but man, it, it, it's more often than not. And, and God, who can do whatever He wants 24-7, chooses to see us a certain way. And if we as humans can do that, I mean seriously, if we can do that and we can choose to see other people in, in, through love and overlook a bunch of stuff and not even pay attention to other things but just choose to see the other person in love, if we have the capacity to do that, how much more does God have the capacity to do that? And why is it so hard to believe? And this is really the part 
that bothers me about this is that somehow this seems really hard for people to believe. Well, it can't be that. But it is that. It really is that. And and trying to, to, to pick apart and, and trying to just, 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 just dissect everything, that's not going to get us anywhere. The fact of the matter is God says this is the way it is through the Gospels. Then Paul re-emphasizes it to the Roman church here, saying this is how God is choosing to see you. And you'll either accept that or you won't. You'll either take hold of that by faith or you won't. But he's offering that. And whether or not you see yourself that way, that doesn't change how he sees you. And he is choosing to see you in this way. And so how has God made us right in his sight? Well, that's what the gospel tells us. There was a plan, it's a process designed by God that places us in himself. That's how he does it. And you look at that, it's like, well, you got all these verses where Jesus is talking about, it's like, I'm in the Father, the Father is in me. I and the Father are one. I mean, these are all like truths that he's given us, ways of seeing him, ways of seeing the Father. And then he prays a prayer in John where he prays that, I pray that they could all be one even as you and I are one. So he takes it right down to our level, right? Do you hear that? Because it's one thing to theologically look at, oh, well, Jesus and the Father are one, therefore uh, we have proof here of his divinity. So the divine nature of the Son is being proclaimed through his relationship with the Father. But then he prays for us. He's like, let them all be one, even as you and I are one. And so there's a divine nature that he's praying over us. Whether we want to believe that or not, whether we want to accept that or not, whether we want to believe that or not, He's praying that over us so that we can gain an understanding. It's like, all right, so you want to, you want to jump all theological on the Father and the Son. Well, jump all theological on all of us being one as He and the Father are one. Take an application of that. Take an application of that theology and begin to filter that down to what does that mean to me? What does it mean to me that Jesus is praying this for me? Because i got a little hint for you. Jesus prayed it. Guess what? It's done. It's done. The Bible tells us that whatever you pray according to the will of God is done. Jesus is praying it. It's done. You pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's done. He's done. It's done. And so the, the implication of that is that Okay, we have to take hold of, all right, this is the nature he's talking about here. Well, that's the nature he's talking about with us. So let's take hold of that. Don't let that just fall off somewhere. Oh, well, I don't know about that. What don't you know? Whether you want to believe it or not? Okay, I'll accept that. Not much else. Jesus said it. Jesus declared it. And so you're going to believe that or you're not. That's, that's the only I don't know about it. The only thing you don't know is whether you're going to believe what he says or not. That's all. And so maybe that's something you look at that. It's like, well, uh, okay, I need to believe that. Good. 
Good. You know how I believe stuff? I start reading it over and over again until it becomes part of this the way I think. And I know that sounds really rote and kind of boring, but that's what I do. Because there's some truths, and this has happened from the very beginning, the very beginning of my faith, there were some truths that I just had to read over and over again because I could not, could not figure them out. And that started when I was 19 and is today. That there are certain things that God says, I can't figure it out. First time I read Hebrews 11.1, 1, it was right at the very beginning, very beginning of my journey with Jesus, 19 years old, on a college campus. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That sounded like complete gibberish to me. Gibberish. And that's just the truth. It sounded like gibberish to me. But I knew it wasn't gibberish. I knew it was God just speaking. I just could not somehow get that. And so I looked at it one day and I made a decision. It's like, I'm not going to figure this out. I was looking at it word for word. I was looking at the other words. I was trying to figure out what, what's it, gibberish. And so one day I just came to the conclusion. I'm like, this is one of those things. I need to believe this. And so it became not an exercise, a mental exercise. It became an exercise of faith. And I began to read it, and I began to read it, and I began to read it over and over again. Not so that I could somehow pick it apart and, 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 and mentally take hold of it, but so that my spirit could grab hold of it and I could actually believe it. I want that truth in me. So I'm going to believe it. Other truths that came along during those times, and there, there were plenty of truths that came along during that time, but I wanted them in me. Not rattling around my head, trying to figure it out. I wanted them in me. I wanted that truth. I want to own that truth. I want that truth to be part of my life. Well, I'm going to have to believe that. I'm just going to have to believe it. I don't know how it happens, but I'm going to have to believe it. I can't figure it out, but I'm going to have to believe it. And I'm going to take hold of that and put it right in my life. So let me look at Luke 17.5. You read that. In this passage, some of your translations will say, in Romans one seventeen, from faith to faith. Some of them do. And the idea is, uh, it's a process that we're going to lay hold of things by faith, but that faith leads to more faith. In other words, it increases. And so you have to start somewhere with a little bit of faith. And then as you continue on, you get more faith and more faith. And as the apostles, they asked Jesus, I increase our faith. In other words, we want to go from this faith to this faith to this faith to this faith, talking about a process of gaining more faith. 
in our life. But it has to start somewhere. It doesn't magically appear. In other words, we're, we're all of a sudden, we're okay, we're at this much faith today, but tomorrow we're at this much faith. Now, I know God pours out the gift of faith, and sometimes we're given this gift and we just have faith for whatever it is. I understand that, but that's not the normal process. The normal process is that we believe, then we believe, we practice, we practice, we believe more. We practice, we live it, we live more. It becomes more and more a part of us, whatever that thing is. And so we are being moved on and we are being born forth from faith to ever-increasing faith. That's why the apostles prayed that prayer, like increase our faith. We want to go from this faith to the next faith to the next faith. We want something deeper, we want something bigger. And so you have to take hold of something first, though. Something has to become a part of you. And as you begin to live that thing, you get more and more faith. Why? Because you see it, it's working. Because you're living it, it's working. Because you're holding on to it, it's working. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Well, that was working. So I believed it more. Then it was working some more. Then it was working some more. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing God do miraculous things. I'm seeing God moving in people's lives in miraculous ways. I'm watching God do. I mean, I'm seeing students delivered. I'm seeing just supernatural acts taking place around me. Why? Because faith was growing to faith and more faith. And, and I could see it. I could live it. It was a part of me. And it was getting bigger. That's faith to ever-increasing faith. It's that process. And we lay hold of the gospel by faith. Because it's apart from faith, the gospel, and I know this is going to be bad news bears for some of you, you're going to not like this. <laughs> Without faith, the gospel is null and void. It's just null and void. And people that worship the Bible just got mad at me for saying that. People that worship the book got real mad at me for saying that, but the book is the book. And, and there's been generations of scholars studying the book that never knew Jesus. The book isn't magical. The book, the book doesn't have any kind of magical powers. It, it's the Holy Spirit that brings the Word of God to life. The Holy Spirit that reveals the Word of God and speaks the Word of God into our lives. It was the Holy Spirit that moved on the men that wrote that book. It was the, the revelation of God, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that moved on them and they wrote down those words. And it's the revelation and inspiration of the Holy Spirit that helps us to understand it. That only makes sense. That only makes sense. It's a work of the Spirit from the beginning to the end. And so if we're going to lay hold of what God is saying, then it's going to be by faith. Because without faith, the gospel is null and void. You know, it's, it's interesting to me when people say, well, I've read the whole Bible. I didn't get anything. Yeah. Right. Right. I don't really have much to say about that. Because it's a spiritual thing. 
It's not an exercise in reading comprehension. It's a spiritual thing. And if we're going to lay hold of what actually God is saying through His Word, it's going to be by faith. And so just reading the words, that's not faith. It's not. So we look at Romans 4. Romans 4, 5 through 8. Romans 4, 5 through 8. All right. Uh, in that in that passage, I mean, Paul's making an argument. All right, we're we're looking at the thesis statement tonight in Romans one, but he's making an argument through the whole epistle, and the argument he's making through the whole epistle is that 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 the way that we take hold of the way that we live in the way that we experience the way that we grow into how God sees us is by faith. And that's what it is. And you can make something else up if you want. It ain't going to work as good. You can believe something else if you want. It'll never work as good. You you can tell me, well, I choose to believe it this way. That's your right. That's your opinion. But it's not going to work as good. And so I, I can I can respect the fact that you don't want to believe this. I can respect the fact that maybe you don't believe this. I can respect the fact that then maybe you want to believe something else. But the fact is, is it's never going to work as good as what God said. And so you can keep fighting. You can keep arguing about it. You can keep uh, running away from it. Whatever it is you want to react to it, you can keep doing all those things, but it will never work as well as just doing what, just believing what God said. This is never going to work as well. We are made right with God by faith. That's what that says there. Now, he quotes uh, from the Old Testament, Habakkuk uh, 2.4. And in Habakkuk 2.4, you got a prophet. They're about to be overrun by the Chaldeans and people being carried off and people are just being taken away to Babylon. And, and so Habakkuk is declaring and God is teaching a lesson through the prophet. And that is, and he uses these words, the just shall live by faith. And so in other words, what he's telling the prophet there and what's being quoted here in Romans is that if you want to live, I mean really live, and you're living your life before God and you're living your life in God and you're living the life that God's given you to live, you're going to do that by faith. Because everything around him was falling apart. Everything around him was a threat. Everything around him was, was danger. And yet the declaration that God gave him to give to the people was, if you're going to live, I mean really live, regardless of your circumstance, if you're going to live regardless of what's going on around you, if you're going to really live in Jesus fully in the way that God wants you to live, it's going to be in faith. 
And so that trumps your circumstances, that trumps your situation, that trumps your perceived danger, that trumps all the stuff that's going on around you, the chaos, the swirling, the confusion, everything that's going on around you, that trumps all that. Live by faith. That's how you stay in the middle of what God has for you, regardless of what's happening around you. Because there's always something happening. There's always something happening. And if you're doing anything for Jesus, there's always something happening. Anything for Jesus. I mean anything. You're running a Bible study for Jesus, something's happening around you. You're, you're praying for people for Jesus, something's happening around you. You're interceding for people for Jesus, something's happening around you. You're giving money so that people can continue the gospel or go overseas, something's happening around you. That's what happened. And so that's not the surprise. That's not any surprise. But what we're called to, I mean really, what we're called to is to live our, our life in Jesus. And that's done by faith. And that's how it's going to happen. Righteousness. Now, now Paul quotes Habakkuk because he is using the authority of the Old Testament. So in this argument, follow me, in this argument, he's used the authority of, number one, what was his first authority he used? What did I say? The gospel. And what's the second authority he uses here, quoting the Old Testament? The Old Testament. So he's using the, the gospel and the Old Testament as the authorities to speak what he's speaking. He's saying this is solid. This is solid from Jesus. This is solid from the Old Testament. This is solid God. This is what he has to say. You believe it, you're going to grab hold of it. So righteousness proceeds from God. Now you've got to get that. You've got to get that. I, I saved it right, right then. So maybe you can get it. Righteousness proceeds from God. That's where righteousness comes from. Righteousness doesn't come from you. Righteousness doesn't come from your perception of you. Righteousness doesn't come from your words. Righteousness doesn't come from anywhere. Righteousness, righteousness proceeds from God for us to participate in. He lays it out. There you go. It's for you, for me, to participate in. It is for our benefit. Is a man whose righteousness is based on faith. That part of this verse speaks, it says, in the translation I'm using, it says from start to finish. From start to finish. From start to finish, this is how God does things. So, so in other words, it, Paul's trying to let people know. It's like, well, this isn't anything new. This isn't, this isn't anything that, that is different. It's from start to finish. This is how it works. This is how it works. This is how it's going to work. It's from the start to the finish. And this is God's plan. This is God's purpose. This is the way God does things. Whether you believe it or you don't, you agree with it, you don't, you like it, you don't like it, doesn't matter. This is how God does things. Start to finish. Start to finish. The authority of the Old Testament, the authority of the Gospel. 
The authority is drawn from, from start to finish, this is how things work. Righteousness proceeds from God for us to participate in, if we choose to. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. You can make something up. There's nothing else in the plan of God. Nothing. And that's why all that stuff that gets made up doesn't work. doesn't work. All that stuff that's in your head about that got made up does not work. None of it. And it never will. Because there's, there, there's nothing else. From start to finish, this is how God chose to do things. It's how He's choosing to do things. It's how He chose to do things. It's how He's going to choose to do things. It's from the start to the finish. This is how things are done. Regardless of what you think about it. And the only way to lay hold of this, the only way to really take hold of this is by faith. Is by faith. Well, why would God do that? I don't care. I want it. I want it. By faith. I don't get hold of it. And if I have to read it a hundred times, I'm going to read it a hundred times and I'm going to get a hold of it because I want it part of my life. So I look in Philippians, Philippians 3, Philippians 3, Philippians 3, 9. Alright, that verse tells you is righteousness in Paul. What do you say? No. Where did it come from? So it comes from God. How does he obtain it? Through faith in God. Okay, faith in Christ. Right. Right. Just like in Romans, he says it again in Philippians. Faith is not merely head belief. I was talking about this earlier. It's not purely an intellectual process. I mean, James, you think about James. Uh, he, wrote, he wrote, he said, uh, you say you believe. Well, good for you. The devil believes and trembles. Yeah. Faith is more than an intellectual process. It's more. It's more than just agreeing with something. Even though that's part of it. But that's not all of it. And so there's an agreement that takes place, but there has to be more to it than that. And it's not really a trust either. We want it to be just, oh, well, I trust that. Well, how much? I don't know. I mean, do the devils who know Jesus is Jesus, do they trust he said that? Well, sure. They have trust in some things. But it has to be deeper than that. It has to be deeper than just that the idea of intellectual. It has to be not merely a trust, although trust is part of it. And it can't just be a passive dependence either. There's got to be something more active than that in us. 
And so you can say, well, faith, and I'm just waiting around for God to do whatever. Well, I guess sometimes we do wait around, but faith has to be more active than that. It has to be something that means something. It has to be, uh, and I believe that faith involves, and, I, and I'm not going to be able to define this, but I hope you can follow me, involves a current of emotions in us. God is emotional. He made us emotional. So emotions play a part in our faith. They play a part in how we're going to choose to live and how we're going to choose to integrate things into our life and how we're going to choose to believe and really believe and heartfelt and innermost being kind of believe stuff that involves emotion. And so faith is, 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 is in that, is part of that current of emotions that are in us. Is it solely based on our... No. No, but it's part of that. Is it completely non-intellectual? No, there's part of that in there. It, it, it has no trust in it? Of course it has trust in it. That's part of it. Do we, do we depend on God for things that we need? Sure, that's part of it too. But it's not just any one of those things. They're just part of it. But there has to be tied in with that our current of emotion, meaning that there's something in us that's touched by it. There's something in us that, that actually grabs hold of it and it means something to us. There's something in us that it'll change the way that we see things. It'll change the way that we understand things. It'll change the way that we even hear and, and we even interact with people around us. It'll change things in us. But it has to touch us in some way that will affect that. If I was saying, like I was saying earlier, because of love, I will choose to see people a certain way. Right. Because that faith has interacted with a current of emotion in me and I allow for that love to change the way I'm going to see that person, the way I choose to see that person, the way I'm going to interact with that person, the way I'm going to understand that person. Because I choose to allow that to happen. But that is an emotional current that's in me. Not just intellectual, not just trust, not just a passive reliance. It's more than that. It's ardent, it's vital, it's loyal. It's an attachment. But we need to be attached. And so this whole idea and this whole concept of righteousness, it needs to revolutionize the way that we interact with God. It really does. Because if you can apprehend this, if you can, if, if you can, can ardently take hold of this in the current of emotion and take hold of, well, God sees me this way. Why? Because of love. He chooses to see me this way. Then you're not going to hide from Him. You're not going to run from Him. Your faith is going to be activated because you're looking at a Father that loves you that cares for you, that's looking out for you, that wants the best for you. You're see, actually seeing Him that way because you're understanding how He sees you. And it makes sense in that way. I mean, somehow. In that current of emotion, that current of faith that's in us, it makes sense somehow. Peace, rest, anxiety, Diminishing, worry, diminishing, living more confidently, 
more boldly, bravely in our life, living with courage. Just by taking a hold, apprehending this truth that God has done everything that needs to be done and He chooses to see you, see you in love. Now you need to take hold of that in faith. You got to take hold of that in faith. I believe what I believe. You got to take hold of that in faith. Some of you, I think, can do that tonight. If I were to ask ten of you after this meeting, what's righteousness? Three of you would tell me it's being a good person. Still. And that's absolutely wrong. Because that's not what faith is saying tonight. Faith is saying something different. If you can take hold of it. Heavenly Father, I pray for us tonight that we take hold in faith of what you're saying. I want to say thanks for your revelation. I want to say thanks for your word. I want to say thanks for the simplicity of that word. Thanks for uh, just, uh, just clearly bringing a truth to the church. Thank you. Thank you. And God, I pray that you'd begin to break down brainwashing that's occurred in our lives over the years, fears that have been put in us over the years. I pray you just break them down in Jesus' name. I pray deliverance over minds tonight. I pray deliverance over hearts tonight from lies, from religion from half-truths. Jesus, I, I want to take hold of what you say. I want it part of me. I want it part of me. Not just in my head, but part of me. Deep down inside, I want this. Let that current of faith get a hold of that in you. Let that current of emotion get a hold of that in you. Just let Jesus make that real. Thanks, God. Thanks, God. Jesus, I thank you we got something greater than circumstances. I thank you we got something greater than situations. I thank you we got something greater than all the fear that the world wants to throw at us. I thank you we got something greater than all the discontent the devil wants to throw at us. I thank you we got something greater than uh, what the world can offer and its philosophies and 
what it can offer and its wealth, what it can offer and whatever it is it's trying to, its power, whatever it's trying to throw at us, I think we've got something so much better. So much better. That our life, our life, our life is in you. Thanks, God. Yeah. I just give you thanks tonight. I pray, God, that uh, faith, faith, faith. I pray, God, that current will just flow. Just flow tonight. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you tonight. Thanks for coming. And we'll see you again. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the comunidad. Yeah, see, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.